God is good. And all the time, God is good. We are continuing in our series, Free at Last, from the book of Exodus. We're looking at the Ten Commandments together. This morning, we are looking at the Ninth Commandment, which is found in Exodus 20, in verse 16. And it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Father, we pray now that as all of us sit under the authority of your word, that you would do that work in our hearts, that you, by the power of your spirit, Lord God, would transform us and conform us into the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. As all of us right now sit under the authority of your word, we pray, do that work in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for nearly three decades, a Missouri man named Lamar Johnson sat in prison serving a life sentence for a murder that he never committed. A St. Louis judge overturned Johnson's conviction and ordered him to be released from prison. Upon hearing the news, Johnson was overwhelmed with emotion, as were others watching in the courtroom. Audience members, including relatives and civil rights activists, jumped up to cheer Johnson attaining his freedom. He says, I can't say I knew it would happen, but would never give up fighting for what I knew to be the right thing, that freedom was wrongfully taken from me. It's persistence that led to his exoneration. It wasn't just his legal team that helped secure his amnesty. Johnson himself sought out witnesses and other people who would corroborate his story and prove his innocence. He says, you have to distinguish yourself. I think the best way to get the court's attention or anyone's attention is to do much of the work yourself. That means making discovery requests for, from law enforcement agencies and courts, and that's what I did. I wrote everybody. Through his own investigations, Johnson contacted people who were willing to come forward and tell the truth. Johnson was 20 years old when he was arrested and charged with the homicide of his friend, Marcus Boyd, police and prosecutors claimed that he killed him over drug money, and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole in 1995 and spent nearly three decades behind bars. The now 49-year-old insisted he was innocent from the beginning. His alibi was that he was with his girlfriend when the crime was happened, which she herself confirmed. The case against him was largely built around an eyewitness who picked him out of a police lineup and an informant in jail who told police he overheard Johnson discussing the crime. What's more, the actual killer in the case came forward and admitted his guilt. James Howard, an inmate at South Central Correctional Center in Licking, Missouri, is currently serving a life sentence for an unrelated murder and confessed to the judge, Judge David Mason, that he and another man were the shooters, effectively clearing Johnson's name. And after reviewing the facts, Mason announced his ruling on Tuesday, February 14th of 2023. He says, if, Johnson says, it felt like a weight had been lifted off me. I think that came out and how emotional I got afterward. 
I was finally heard. I was finally heard. I tell this story uh, to show us actually the real life consequences of someone who is wrongly convicted on the testimony, uh, on testimony that is untrue. The injury done to this man's life is hard to fathom, and yet it's not isolated. It happens. And when it does, the impact is not just on the person who suffers, but on his family and loved ones, and also on the community as a whole. Indeed, these kinds of situations eat at the trust of the judicial system and can erode people's confidence in that system. The call against bearing false witness at its heart is like the call in the other commandments regarding how we treat others. It is a call to protect the well-being of others, in this case by protecting their names and their person from, wrongfully, from wrongful prosecution, from wrongfully being judged and condemned. The commandment may address the specific action of bearing false testimony in trials, yet its underlying principle of telling the truth applies to everyday life. We are called to be a people who love, honor, preserve, and promote what is true. Amen, people of God. God's people are to be those who preserve the truth, who promote it, who protect it, who pursue it, and we are to do so with the good of our neighbor and the glory of our God in mind. The challenge, of course, is that, the, the, the challenge, of course, is that through the sin of lying, one can advance his or her own temporal well-being. We can, through defaming another person's name, elevate our own name and secure our own worldly success in some way. And in our sin, then, we can embrace all kinds of dishonesty and falsehood for our own benefit. Israel had, had seen this in Pharaoh's administration, lying to the people of Egypt concerning the Israelites, telling them that Israel was a threat to their well-being and instituting a cruel system of slavery that was built on that lie. Pharaoh, of course, did it to consolidate his own power and to continue to further the worldwide reputation of Egypt as greatest among the nations. But such lying and falsehood has undergirded lots of injustice done to individuals, the injustice individuals do to each other, and the injustice done to the marginalized throughout history. It's this falsehood whereby we, in, we injure others for our own sinful purposes that God calls us away from in this commandment. And he calls us away from it in our official testimony and trials and disciplinary procedures, and he calls us away from it in our general practices in everyday life. We are to be in all of our relationships people who love the truth, who promote the truth, who preserve the truth, who pursue the truth. And Jesus... Our King has made it possible for us who have faith in Him to live in this truth and to promote it in our relationships in the church and outside the church. He has made it possible by becoming flesh, by entering into our experience, and by bringing into our experience the full expression of what God's glory looks like that we just sang about, a glory that is full, John says, of grace and truth. 
In Jesus, brothers and sisters, we experience what it's like to be favored rather than lied on, what it's like to be favored rather than deceived, what it's like to be favored rather than misled, what it's like to be favored rather than judged, what it's like to be favored rather than condemned. And the one through whom we have been shown that favor is the one through whom we have been rescued from the condemnation we actually deserved, the true sentence of death that was upon us all. And so now through Christ, we are called to live in that grace that he has given to us, that we have received, and that we are to walk in that example of truth that Jesus has modeled for us through the power of the Spirit. Indeed, through Christ, we can obey the Apostle Paul's words in Colossians chapter 3, where he says to us, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. As new creations then, as people who are new in Christ, who have put off the old self and have put on the new man, we are to walk in truth. And so how do we keep this ninth commandment? Well, we keep it First of all, brothers and sisters, by ensuring that our own lives individually are free from falsehood. By ensuring that our own lives individually are free from falsehood. Since this commandment focuses on being a false witness, there is first an individual import to this command. It is a call to us individually to guard our own hearts from falsehood or from participating in what promotes falsehood. That there was a call to the individual to refrain from falsehood in their testimony can be clearly seen in the discipline that God called for when a person was found to be a false witness, a malicious witness. In Deuteronomy 19, we read this, if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. And the judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. The point, of course, uh, is to discourage the witness from bearing false testimony knowingly, which could damage another person's life or, in capital cases, lead to another person's death. In a judicial system like Israel, uh, Israel's human witnesses were a crucial part of establishing the facts of the case and helping those judging the case to render just judgments. And even though our own system has ways of establishing facts apart from human witnesses, the integrity of those handling that information is still crucial as well as the testimony of human witnesses. The point is this, that we keep this commandment by pursuing integrity in our own thoughts, in our own speech, in our own actions as it relates to our brothers and sisters and as it relates to our neighbors. It's a call, brothers and sisters, to examine our own lives to see where we might have strayed or might be straying from this command generally in our lives. Are we committed individually to walking in integrity? And where we have failed, are we committed to repentance and renewed faith that we might learn to walk in what is true? Every individual in the church community is called to this integrity in our speech, in our thoughts, in our actions, in this world. 
an official testimony, and in our testimony on the streets, so to speak. We are to be people known for our commitment to speaking and acting in truth. We ought to remember that the Lord delights in truth and that he hates falsehood. Listen to God's word in Zechariah where it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purpose to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath and, did not, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purpose in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. And then watch this. These are the things you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. So I just came to tell us this morning that in our individual lives, now that we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to help us keep this command as individuals. And so, brothers and sisters, let us examine our own hearts and ask for the Spirit's power in our individual lives to walk in truth. The call here, brothers and sisters, is to self-examination. It means asking ourselves if we have lied or in some way promoted the lies of others. And where we are guilty, the call is to repentance and repair, bearing false witness, whether in formal proceedings or just in our everyday interactions with others, is damaging to other people's lives. It can lead not only to broken trust, but broken lives. And so keeping this command individually means that we own up to uh, any and all ways we have walked in dishonesty or supported others in being dishonest. In the opening, opening story, Lamar's freedom rested in part on someone coming forward and confessing to having committed the crime that he had been accused of. Repentance matters in this area because it can lead to restoration of another person's life where our dishonesty has done damage. It will also lead to our own freedom, freedom from the condemnation of living under the knowledge that our lie has done harm to another. And so if we have damaged someone's good name through our lie, repentance looks like restoring that name by confessing to all those who were impacted by our lie. If we have damaged someone's livelihood, it means reparation of that damage through the labors of our own hands. If we have damaged someone's relationship, it means working where we can to repair those relationships. Lying does damage, but God has placed his Holy Spirit on the inside of us to help us walk in repentance and repair when we have walked in dishonesty and falsehood. Amen, people of God. So keeping this command, uh, first of all, uh, means that uh, in our individual lives, we ensure that we are free from falsehood. But keeping this command also means making sure our own judicial process in the church is free from falsehood. While this command speaks to the call to integrity as individuals, it also calls us to integrity corporately, to ensure that our whole system of judicial practice is rooted and grounded in rendering true and just judgments. I told a story to begin this sermon that illustrates that our human systems, no matter how great we think they are, they have flaws. 
And those flaws aren't just a matter of statistical relevance to determine that our system is better than someone else's, defending ourselves that we get it right most of the time. The flaws in the system impact real people's lives. Fathers and mothers have been torn from their children and children from parents because of those flaws. Communities and neighborhoods have been changed forever because of those flaws. Even the peace of nations has been disturbed because of those flaws. It would be one thing if it were just true of our secular judicial systems, but we know from the scriptures themselves that even religious systems can be deeply flawed and lead to the rendering of unjust judgments. Just consider what we just celebrated. Just think about the narrative of Good Friday. Think about the just one, our Lord, being dragged from one unjust judicial proceeding to the next. Think about that. Only to be sentenced unjustly to death. And while we understand the divine justice and plans that sent Jesus to the cross, we also understand the human injustice and scheming that sent him there. For Peter declares, this Jesus delivered up according to the the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The point is that even religious folks can participate in judicial proceedings that render false judgments. Don't worry, this ain't an amen sermon. I know that. It's all good. Just listen, take notes. It's incumbent upon us as Christians to be humble in evaluating both our judicial rules as well as our collective philosophies and customs and beliefs and practices around the administration of discipline in the church, as well as how we act toward each other in general in the body of Christ in our collective relationships. In other words, are we acting in truth across those collective lines of gender and age and race and ethnicity and class? Do we act with more integrity with those who are members of our own group and less integrity with those who are not? Are we tempted to alter our testimony based on who we are testifying about? Our call, brothers and sisters, is to embrace collectively the pattern of Paul and his team in their ministry of the word of whom he speaks. But we have denounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We renounce, brothers and sisters, the underhanded ways, and we walk in sincerity both in our judicial practice as well as our general collective practice in the church and all our relating to one another as God's people. And so the call here is to examine, uh, to examine nation, just like in the previous point. Only it's an examination of our corporate behavior, not just our individual behavior. Where our corporate practices and institutions and systems have failed to render true justice, we must repent and work to repair what has been broken. And this requires a deep level of humility. In lots of places, uh, this corporate practice of bearing false witness is done 
through the concealing of truth, through processes and procedures that enable us to hide important facts to protect the power for those who we deem more important or valuable in some way. In our corporate practices, we should remember what is said about our God. For the Lord our God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Thus, we are to show no partiality, but in all our dealings to be people of truth and love and grace, mercy and forgiveness And where we find that our processes and our procedures are not helpful in this regard, we should change them and find better ways of ensuring that truth and justice prevail rather than lies and deceitfulness. And where our practices are good, where they promote truth and lead to justice and righteousness, we are to rejoice and thank God for his blessing. For where truth prevails, there is opportunity for repentance for, for repair, and for reconciliation. Amen, people of God. We keep this commandment by ensuring that our individual lives are free from falsehood. We keep this commandment by ensuring that our corporate judicial processes and relating to one another in the church is free from falsehood. And we keep this commandment by encouraging our neighbors toward being free from falsehood as well. Finally, the church has a prophetic role and an evangelistic role toward the world. Jesus himself says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall, it, shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our Lord told Pilate that there was a truth outside of what was motivating Pilate and his own countrymen to put him to death, and that those who heard his truth were drawn to his voice. This truth is the truth of God's word, his kingdom, his gospel, and we adorn that gospel in this world by living in it as people who promote, preserve, uphold, and pursue what is true. It simply must not be said of Christians, at least not in truth, that we promote, preserve, uphold what is false. It simply must not be said about us as Christians that we preserve, uphold, or promote what is false. We must not be those who practice, who participate in lies or a lie for our own gain. We should not be a community that is able to be bribed. I'm going to say that again. We should not be a community who is able to be bribed. Politically, monetarily, or otherwise, to participate in falsehood. The world should be able to look at us and say, we know one group of people on this earth who we are certain to get an honest word from. People who will know, who people we know will engage whatever question put to it with integrity and people who will repent 
and ask for forgiveness and pursue renewal when they get something wrong. You know why Nebuchadnezzar called Daniel to interpret his dreams? It wasn't because Daniel was going to tell him what he wanted to hear. It is because he knew Daniel would tell him the truth, would not lie to him to advance his own cause, would not put others in jeopardy for his own comfort. What about us? What about the church today? Is this how people encounter us? I believe they do in some segments of our own country and world. Yet we can also point to places where they do not. Where that is true, we should lament. Where that is true, we should pray. Where that is true, we should act to show ourselves faithful in our own generation. We should be people known for truth is all I'm saying. If you want to be a Christian involved in helping your neighborhood, in your city, your community flourish, then be that person who is known by those around you who is committed to the truth. Not everyone will love you for it, but many will respect you for it and the name of Christ will be honored. And perhaps through our commitment to truth, many will be drawn to the voice of our Lord. Amen, people of God. I want to say something. I want you to bear with me for a second, okay? The call here is not to be a mirror to the culture around us, reflecting back to it its own dishonesty. We must not be a mirror to the culture around us, reflecting back to it its own dishonesty. Don't regurgitate other people's lies. Don't be so committed to winning a debate that you say things and do things that are not in keeping with the truth of God's word. Remember MLK's words, Martin Luther King's words, and let it be how you consider your actions in the world in regards to the command to tell the truth. He said, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. In these days, where easily verifiable facts are disregarded in favor of blatantly erroneous statements... Let us, as the church of the living God, not rush in to join the fray. Let's not be the kind of people who pass on other people's lies. Let's remember our calling to be the light of the world, to be a city set on a hill. Let us be what the apostle calls us to be in the world as we refrain from the spirit of grumbling and complaining. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life. This is our calling, people of God, to be a people who keep this commandment by ensuring that in our individual lives we are people who keep from falsehood, by ensuring that in our corporate practices together, that in our judicial practices together, that in our general relating to one another across all the lines of division, that we are a people of truth. And let's ensure that we are to the world the example that Christ calls us to be, a light, a city set on a hill, a city that is set apart and not like the world around us. 
Amen, people of God. This is the call of God on our lives, and the Holy Spirit is in each of us individually and among us corporately to enable us to keep this commandment. And so let's ask for the Spirit's power to do so. Amen, people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise because you are the God of truth. You are the God of justice. You are the God of righteousness. And you have called us out to be a people for your own purposes, that we might reflect in the world around us and to each other your truth, your justice, your righteousness, in the way we think about each other, in the way we speak about each other, in the way we act toward one another, Lord, both in our formal judicial proceedings, but also in our general practice and our relationships with each other. Lord, help us to be a people of truth. Help truth, help us to love truth. Help us to love it so that we might preserve it and promote it and pursue it in every aspect of our lives. Help us to be a people, Lord, who are, who are, who are indeed a light to the world because we are a people who uphold what is true. We pray and ask this in Jesus' mighty, powerful, and matchless name.